You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the uh, Future Tech and Future Tech Health Podcast, and I have a returning guest, uh, Paul R. Ehrlich, a uh, famous guy. He's been around for a long time. He wrote a book called The Population Bomb, uh, I believe, in '68. Is that right, Paul? That's right. Okay. Yeah, we. Um, I don't know how we were only. I was only two years old. You gotta. I mean, that's an important thing to point out. <laughs> I was negative uh, seven. So yeah. But it was a big accomplishment. Um. Yeah. Last time I know, like I said, we talked about. Um, the epidemic of recessed jaws and small amounts, but this is a totally different topic. So, uh, you know, I, I know this book was written a long time ago, but I'm sure this is something you've thought about your whole life, you know, the population explosion, and you've now witnessed what's happened over the past, you know, 40 some odd years. So that's what I want to ask you. What, what prompted you back in 68 to write the book? And then I'd like to go through what's happened since and what your thoughts are. Well, first of all, uh, the thing that it stimulated me to write the book back then was even then it was crystal clear that our environmental problems, which were becoming uh, much more talked about because of Silent Spring, um, that the one element that was not being discussed at all and the main, uh, one of the main causative elements in it was human overpopulation. And uh, I can't say that anything's changed very much. I have been working very hard the last few days with uh, a group of scientists who are trying to get an article out pointing out once again uh, that people are utterly ignoring the role that population size and growth has uh, in uh, cooking our future. So uh, n- nothing much has changed. It's only been 50 years, but what the hell? Well, what were some of your predictions back in 68? And then now that you look back upon them, you know, how do you... Uh, well, we predicted that the climate would change in part in response to the, to, uh, the growth of the human population. Uh, and of course, it has changed and is changing rapidly and now threatening our very existence. Uh, we predicted that one of the lines in the book that was most attacked was... Um, Near the front, I think it was actually on the front page, which said the battle to feed all of humanity is over. And everybody said, that's nonsense. We're going to all become vegetarians. We're going to um, uh, eat whales that are farmed in atolls and so on and so forth. And it turns out that today there's something on the order of 800 million people starving and another 2 billion with inadequate diets. But that hasn't affected the people they say keep saying the same stuff, you know, population doesn't make any difference. Uh, and of course, to anybody with an IQ of over 30, uh, you can see immediately it makes a huge difference. Uh, how we affect uh, our resources, each other, our planet is a function both of how many of us there are and how each of us behaves. 
uh, and uh, you put them together, for example, if people, if each individual is beginning on average to consume more and you have more and more people, then guess what? Since aggregate consumption is the main impact we have on our environment, our impact keeps increasing. And uh, you don't have to be very bright to realize you cannot grow forever uh, you know, on a finite planet. Just can't be done. Of course, excuse me, Jeff Bezos understands that we'll just go off and live on satellites, which I think is a great plan. Uh, well, um, the narrative seems to be, you know, the population has grown tremendously, but now the growth is slowing. Is that what you see? And do you think we'll get to a, uh, you know, a status where we've stopped growing, you know, where, where we get to, let's say, 10 billion or 11 billion? Or do you think oh, that... Uh, without we'll question, we'll get to a status when we're not growing. No, no scientist would dispute that. Uh, the question is what the size will be when we stop growing. Is it going to be, see, we have pushing seven and a half million, a billion people today. Um, when Ann and I wrote the population bomb in 68, there were about three and a half billion. So we're more than twice as many people today. The sustainable number in the long run is probably somewhere around a billion the long run being a few centuries. Uh, and so uh, the issue is, can we get back down from seven and a half billion uh, to uh, somewhere in the vicinity of one to three billion uh, over the next few centuries? And uh, the answer is almost certainly we'll get there. The issue is, do we get there by dramatically reducing our birth rate uh, or do we get there by dramatic having Earth dramatically increase our death rate. And that's not clear at the moment, although all the odds seem to be in favor of increasing the death rate. There is no choice. It's got to be one or the other. Okay. How did you come to that uh, calculation between one and three billion? Like what goes into the, uh, figuring that out? Well, we what we did, I did it with several colleagues and it was a um, probably 25 years ago now. Uh, but we asked the following question. Um, if you want to have an optimum population on the planet, uh, how many can you support uh, where you would have big cities where people who like to have uh, opera and good restaurants uh, and also wilderness where you have people could live with nature and be hermits and uh, assuming something like the then available technologies how many likely could you support in those conditions? And it came out to be about a little over a billion, uh, over a billion people. And just to be safe, uh, you might support two or three billion, but to be safe, uh, keep it below uh, the uh, the grand total. And that was about the number of people we had at the turn of the 20th century. You know, around 1900, when there were big cities and industry, and also uh, a lot of wilderness. Well, what about technologies that have come about, like the Haber-Bosch process? To uh, well, yeah, sort of some of the there. some of the technologies have uh, at least temporarily expanded. For example, our food supply. Although uh, the, for example, the extra nitrogen in the uh, environment from the Haber-Bosch process is not um, a very good thing. Um, we have dramatically changed, as we discussed last time, uh, the kind of food we produce, and that is having uh, a whole series of negative aspects on humanity. We are, uh, among other things, getting fatter, getting more diabetes, um, getting more heart disease, 
uh, and so on. Um, and that has its effects on us. But the main thing right now, there are two, two or three things that our technologies are doing to us, uh, which are very, very dangerous. First of all, of course, there's the adding of greenhouse gases to the atmosphere. And uh, the more people you have, the more greenhouse gases go into the atmosphere. As a matter of fact, um, the, uh, uh, the food system itself contributes something on the order of a third of the greenhouse gases that go into the atmosphere. So the more people you have, the more food you need to produce, the more greenhouse gases go into the atmosphere, the more the climate is disrupted. And of course, food production is directly and intimately connected uh, to the climate. So the very process of getting ourselves more food uh, is also a process of disrupting the climate and uh, hindering uh, the amount of decent food we can get. I mean, for example, just adding carbon dioxide to the atmosphere reduces the nutritional value uh, of uh, our main grain crops. So we're very busily sawing off the limb we're sitting on, uh, and uh, people have not yet learned a very, very basic fact of arithmetic. That is, a long history of exponential growth in no way implies a long future of that kind of growth. Yeah, I guess all exponentially growing systems, yeah, will reach a point where the entire system changes dramatically. Exactly. So what what level of awareness do you believe there is of what's going on, you know, amongst various groups, well, scientists, politicians, the average person? The, the awareness in the scientific community is very high. Uh, there have been a whole series of warnings published by the scientific community and paid no attention to by the mass media. For example, I think it was in 1993, all the scientific academies of the world got together and said, if you keep the population growing, we're screwed. Uh, and nobody paid the slightest attention. The New York Times didn't even notice it. Neither did the Washington Post uh, and most uh, uh, major journals around the world. The mainstream media just ignored it. Um, it was seconded about a year ago. Uh, the first time was several hundred scientists. Um, the second time it was 15,000 scientists and growing today. Uh, but nobody's paying any attention. Uh, they think the big problem in the world is Trump. Of course, having the country and the world run by a bunch of thugs uh, is not an ideal way to solve these gigantic problems. But that's what we're trying to do, and uh, uh, ignorant thugs on top of it. So uh, we're turning the world over to the losers. They're running the world, and they're running it into the ground for the profit of themselves and their families and their supporters. It's not. There's no complexity in it. It's you were talking about corruption last time. Well, boy, do we see it now. Um, Excuse me. I about to give well, the, that's not a political view. It's a scientific view. Yeah, no problem. What um, what do you think of the efforts being made to uh, you know curb global warming? Um, you know the Paris Accords, uh, you know caps on emissions. Well, there was a point on a lot of issues that have interested me for my entire life when I thought we were making real progress. I mean, uh, for example, in Richard Nixon's day, Richard Nixon uh, had his flaws, but he was a very clever politician, uh, and he realized the world was getting into trouble, and some of the best environmental legislation started out uh, pushed by Republicans uh, in the Nixon days. 
Then along came Ronald Reagan, reversed the whole thing. He probably, you think Trump was the worst president we've ever had, but in terms of ending our civilization, Reagan may have had a larger impact uh, by reversing our uh, environmental things. And of course, uh, we have now the Republican war on women when we have a desperate situation where we should be doing everything we can to lower birth rates and where everybody knows that the very best, most humane thing you can do to start out lowering birth rates is to give full rights to women. And what are we doing? We have a bunch of thugs trying to take away the rights of women. So, uh, you know, how, how can one be cheery in those circumstances? Well, okay. what do you think of the, um, you know, well, again, the, the current efforts to, uh, to stem climate change in particular, do you think that they uh, have any hope of being effective even with, I mean, with, with full participation of all countries in the world? Or do you think that uh, they're just not even close to the, the goals we need? Because well, like, all the climate goals never talk about population. They just talk about getting us to a sustainable level. But I've, I've never really heard any of them talk about, well, the population would have to come down in order to reach sustainability. It's well, that's what's depressing. It seems like it is what it is. Yeah, I mean, that's what's so depressing is that uh, none of the things that, first of all, even with the assumption that we can continue to grow and the technologies will allow us to reduce the amount of carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases flowing into the atmosphere, um, that we can meet our goals and keep the uh, uh, the climate uh, relatively stable and livable. Well, A, there's no real scientific support for the idea that two, per, two degrees Celsius rise in temperature is safe. It may or may not be. We don't know enough about the system, but there's more and more stuff coming out all the time. A very uh, brilliant uh, research report from um, uh, Australia uh, pointing out what all of us have known for a long time, that the IPCC is intrinsically very conservative. In my view, for example, uh, statements like, well, uh, we have a one in three chance of keeping the temperature uh, below, uh, uh, say, two degrees Celsius increase. Well, a one in three chance is like if somebody told you there's a one in three chance you won't have a bullet in your brain, uh, in the next hour, you wouldn't consider that a very conservative uh, estimate. And all the information that's coming out makes it look even under current assumptions, uh, which are not being met, current assumptions, for instance, the, of the Paris Accords, um, are not likely to get us there, or at least are not certain to get us there. And there are huge numbers of things, feedbacks and so on, that aren't being properly considered. So it's it's a, a tough shot, even if we started tomorrow to try and do the right things. Uh, I have serious doubts personally, and many other scientists have doubts too, uh, that we'll avoid a, a really catastrophic climate situation. And that's only one bit of it, because of course it's interacting with the destruction of biodiversity, which are the life support systems that we absolutely need if we're going to continue to live on the planet. And uh, the loss of biodiversity, uh, you know, the UN recently came out and said a million animals are at risk. It isn't the million animals we care about. It's the ecological systems made up of all those animals and plants and microorganisms that support our lives. They are suffering from climate disruption already. They're also being wiped out for many other reasons. 
Uh, and without them, we're gonna we're not gonna be able to do some of the things we really care to do, like eat. You know, most of the most of our most nutritious crops are pollinated for us by insects, and the insects are disappearing. So, uh, how come you haven't done an update to the book? I mean, it's been, you know, 50 years and there's been no update. Oh, we've written about five other books that update it, but nobody pays any attention. Um, and again, there's nothing, it's not just what we say. I say the scientific community is saying it repeatedly. There's something right now, like 20 warnings from science about the things that are going on that need to be stopped, and nobody's paying any attention to them. You know, the, the 1993 statement of all the academies the 1993, I think it was also World Scientist Warning to Humanity. The updates of those in recent years have gotten no mass media attention at all. I have yet to hear the only thing that's come up in the current political situation uh, is climate disruption, because we're beginning to see the effects there so dramatically uh, that Trump can lie his head off, but it's not going to, you know, people are going to be able to duck the tornadoes on their own. Um, and in places, in many places, they're going to be doing without water. Uh, and whatever Trump says, it's not going to make climate change a hoax, you know. Uh, so we, we actually have one candidate, I believe, among the Democrats who's making climate disruption. His major is a, uh, Jay Inslee, I think his name is. Um, and he's making climate change his major thing. Well, why should somebody make his major thing the thing most likely to end our civilization in the next 20 years? I mean, why should we deal with that when we have important things like how many lies Trump told in the last 15 minutes? What's, um, so what do you think is the window on which you're going to see dramatic changes and what will the changes be? We're seeing it right now. Uh, we're seeing it in the uh, weird weather, the continual tornadoes and so on in the Midwest, uh, the lengthening droughts and heat waves. Um, you know, we're into it already. And of course, you and I aren't, and most of our listeners aren't. But if you were living uh, in the city that used to be called Madrid, uh, excuse me, uh, Madras in India, uh, you yeah. find that the, your water has to be delivered and locked up uh, if you can afford it, because the drought is so bad. Um, and people are starting to go hungry in various parts of the world, and that's going to spread. One of the things we predicted years and years and years ago, wrote an entire book on it, is the refugee crisis that's going to become worse and worse. What are we having now in the United States? A long, stupid debate on immigration policy without any debate at all on population policy. The people on both sides of the immigration story are totally ignorant of the causes, consequences, and likely future of this. We're seeing the bare edge of a start of what's going to happen as the population expands, particularly in Africa, uh, and as the population expands and people begin to move to get reasonable conditions. In other words, we're seeing now people flooding towards the United States and flooding towards Europe because parts of the world are already into the collapse mode, and it's going to get much, 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 much worse. So what would be, um, you know, if you were able to make policy and enforce it, what would be some of the prescriptions that you'd, uh, you'd write for now? Well, the, the prescriptions I would write for now deal with the, the major elements. First of all, 
Uh, we do know that we can change our consumption patterns very rapidly. We know that from the history, uh, for instance, of the Second World War, when on December 7, 1942, the United States had produced something like 4 million automobiles. Then the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor, and we didn't produce any more automobiles for about four years. We produced you know, hundreds of thousands of tanks, half-tracks, jeeps, and so on. We rationed gasoline. We rationed meat. I can remember picking milkweed pods in the east in the summer because you could give the uh, the fluff inside. There were places that collected it for making life jackets for the Navy and so on. Consumption patterns can be changed very, very rapidly as they were in all the nations that went to war in the Second World War. Uh, we can change, only change reproductive patterns humanely slowly. Uh, and that means doing things exactly the opposite of what many of the Republican legislators and governors in the United States are doing now. That is giving more rights, more opportunities, equal pay, equal opportunity to women everywhere. And we know from history that the better you treat women, the fewer extra babies they want to have. So uh, that's one of the things that I would work on very, very hard uh, while I was dealing with the gross economic inequities that cause people uh, to rush towards the places where there's still uh, some work, some food, uh, some safety, uh, which are getting to be fewer and fewer. Uh, and uh, so if you don't deal with the population side, eventually that gets you for sure. Consumption you can deal with rapidly, uh, but it takes a political will to do it. Equity issues, particularly economic equity issues, racial equity, gender equity, and so on, all are critical to this. If you're going to get people to be willing to cooperate, you got to give people, uh, you know, some reasonable way to see themselves improving their lives and surviving, uh, and you've got to tackle those. And those are areas where, you know, 25 years ago, I might have said we made a lot of progress, women's rights, gay rights, uh, racial rights, religious equity, and so on. But now uh, the thugs have turned it around. Uh, you know, we have a racist rapist as president, and nobody seems to care. You know, there, there are 40 million Americans that are willing to vote for that moronic loser. I mean, how can you possibly uh, think there's any hope for the country when there's 40 million people uh, who just don't give a damn? Okay. So, um, no, I'm not sure. <laughs> Sorry. I'll answer you at this point, but uh, no, that's all right. The article um, that I'm working on with a bunch of colleagues is scientists have to tell it like it is. There's no point in kidding around about these things. Uh, it drives me nuts to ha hear Democrats saying we've got to hold more hearings to find out whether or not uh, Trump is a person who should be removed from uh, the office he's holding. He's the first president in my lifetime that I thought was so obviously unfit for the office that all you got to do is turn on the TV for 10 minutes and you'd get three excuses to impeach the man. And yet the Democrats still want to go slow. Uh, if there ever was a person who deserved to be thrown out of the president's office, somebody 
who's making money uh, by being president, uh, hasn't followed the uh, Constitution at all, and so on, is just beyond belief. And I don't see any reason to have hope that we're going to start moving in the right direction on anything. I'm right now terrified that there's going to be some kind of a slip in the Middle East and we're going to have yet another war, one that could turn nuclear. And our own policies on the nuclear front make the dangers of an accidental nuclear war even larger than they were during the Cold War. And that's not my opinion. That's the opinion of people like Bill Perry, who was Clinton's last uh, sci- uh, uh, defense secretary, and so on, John Holdren, who was the uh, uh, Obama's science advisor, and so on. Everybody who understands the nuclear situation is scared witless. And we, we have two morons, one in North, Dakota, uh, North Korea and one in the White House, uh, playing nuclear games. I mean, it's enough to make you just want to bury your head in the sand. So what would be um, all right, so what would be some resources for listeners to find out more about uh, you know, the realities of the current state of things, you know, in addition to podcasts like these? Uh, any books yeah, or websites? No, I, I, I particularly don't believe me. I could be a paid agent for the condom industry, after all. Uh, there's lots and lots of material out there. Uh, I can send you uh, some stuff if you want. Um, uh, and sure. uh, if, you, if you can distribute it, just I'll just email you some papers. Uh, and people, uh, you know, actually, you can find it almost anywhere. But of course, now you can also find pure crap almost anywhere. And how do you tell them apart? Well, it means a lot of studying. It means a lot of getting your friends and dividing up the world so some of them know some things very well and others know other things very well, and they can help you sort the nonsense uh, from what you really need to know to plan whatever you can uh, in uh, uh, you know, saving yourself and the people you love. It's one of the things I like about the JAWS epidemic is it's one where you actually can do something yourself uh, to maybe make things better. Uh, Very difficult on climate disruption, very difficult on the toxics, which we're all now getting loaded with more and more, you know, the the microplastics that are now going into our brains, uh, the uh, climate disruption, all these things are very difficult for individuals to deal with, except politically. And if you want to deal with them politically, you got to vote the morons out of office. You got to get people who actually have policies, who understand situations, who are interested in actually studying things and then doing the best possible. Not, you know, nobody knows what the very best is, but we sure as hell know a lot of things that are better than we're doing now. Okay. Well, very good. Well, Paul, I, uh, you know, I appreciate you coming and, uh, you know, being uh, very... Sorry to have depressed you. No, it's not depressing. I was going to make a joke and say, you know, th- thanks for your uh, very carefully worded and politically correct statements. And no, honestly, it's better. So, you know, I, yeah. I appreciate it. Well, it's been my pleasure. Thank you very much. And if you send me an email, I will email you some stuff. Will do. Thank you. You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better. 
steer you towards a new career or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you.